Hey, I don't know if you know it or not, but last week, if you were not here, I'm not going to have you raise your hand, but if you were not here, well, all of you that were here, would you tell them what they missed? There's one, what did they miss? Just say it out loud. What did they miss? Ice cream sundaes. That's right. Ice cream sundaes. We invited the third, fourth, and fifth graders to come up. And right here on stage, they started making some of the best looking ice cream sundaes that you have ever seen. And you ought to have watched the faces of the adults as the third, fourth, and fifth graders were making these. In fact, I'm pretty sure that those of you adults who were here last Sunday have no idea what the lesson was about. Because you, your, your eyes were here on these kids and, and you were wanting to be in third and fourth, fifth grade again, weren't you? Mm-hmm. You were wanting to come up here and make a Sunday. And then all of a sudden the preacher said, hey, guess what? We've got Sundays for everybody. I mean, it was like Hallelujah Chorus erupted. Woo! I mean, everybody was excited. Yeah, we had Sundays. Now, does anybody know why we had Sundays? I thought I might need to go back over that just a little bit. You see, there's this grand event that God has called us to. And what we discovered is that discipleship is not passive. Discipleship is not passive because there is this grand event that's taking place in our life. But oftentimes we feel that all we have to do is just sit still and God is just going to zap us and somehow supernaturally, magically, perhaps even change us into the image of Jesus Christ. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, it says that we have been given everything needed for a godly life. We've been given everything that we need. And yet some of us just kind of sit still and say, well, I've got it all. I just don't, I just don't know how to put it all together. I don't know exactly what to do. And so, so last Sunday, we had a Sunday station up here. And I told the third, fourth, and fifth graders, hey guys, guess what? Up here at this Sunday station is everything you need for the perfect Sunday. And I said, and if you want it, if you want a Sunday, you just come on and you make your Sunday because everything you need for it is up here. And it was amazing. Third, fourth, and fifth graders started coming out of the woodworks. I think some people wheeled in the parking lot at the last minute and just let out their children. And I mean, they were just flowing down and coming and wanting to make the Sundays. He thought, you know what? Wouldn't it be really awesome if when God told us, hey, I've given you everything you need for life and for godliness, that we would run and not walk to the well. And that we would say, Lord, where, where is it? What, what do I, what, what, what can I do? What, what, what is my responsibility here? And Peter says, listen, I'm going to tell you what it is. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and for godliness. He says, through the knowledge of the one who called us, through a knowledge of Jesus Christ, experiencing the actual life-giving Savior. He says, so because of this, I want you to add to your faith. He says, I want you to add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge. And he continues on through the text there, giving us different toppings to put on our spiritual Sunday. And so I didn't know if everybody was paying attention or picking it up, but I was at lunch later on in the day and someone said, hey, listen, I just want you to know I'm a visual learner. He said, and that was so cool because not only am I a visual learner, but I love ice cream. 
And he said, now, from now on, whenever I have ice cream and whenever I'm making myself an ice cream sundae, it's going to be a reminder of how I need to be building my discipleship and how I need to be growing in my, in my faith. Why? Because discipleship is active. It's not passive. We don't add these things to our lives. We don't add the virtues that are found in 2 Peter chapter 1 in order to ex- receive salvation, but we do it so that we might experience the joy of salvation as we are being transformed into the image of Jesus. And the reason that we let everybody share in the Sunday experience is because discipleship is a communal activity. Discipleship is communal. It's not solitary. It's not something that we do on our own, hiding off under a bush somewhere. It's not going off necessarily on top of some great mountain and spending our alone time with God. Instead, Peter says, listen, his divine power has given us everything we need. And when he says, I want you to add to your faith, he uses a plural there, meaning everyone that is within the sound of his voice, everyone that is reading this particular letter, all the Christians that would have read it originally, and even to you guys as you were hearing it maybe for the first time last week. It's something that we do together. And so one of the things that we talked about last week was our East Brainer groups. And you've already heard it mentioned, and you're going to hear it mentioned some more. In our glory, praise, and honor again today is an insert that lists different information about East Brainerd groups. And we have a lot of different groups here. We've, we've kind of put them into categories just to help with our own understanding. But there are activity groups. We have individuals of our church family that get together and, and go hiking with one another. Individuals that get together and go running. And they, they use this time to, to invite others into the community of faith. They also use this as a great opportunity to grow closer to God as they think about the beauty of the Lord that's around them. It's a wonderful way for God's people to be together. And they have all these different activities that we, we do together and we, we participate in together. And it just makes sense to, to encourage you to be a part of something like this. We even have something called the Domino Darlings. You know that? Yeah. We have Domino Darlings. And they like to play dominoes. Anybody in here like to play dominoes? Anybody here like to play rook? I want to get the rook group going. Anybody here for a rook group? Amen. Look at this right here. Hey, we want, we want our church to be closer together. And to spend more time with one another. One of the ways is through our, our activity groups. We also have connect groups. These typically meet, as it says here, in homes and seek to strengthen relationships through study and fellowship. If you've been a part of congregations in the past that have had small group ministries, these connect groups are, are similar to that. So if you've participated in a small group before in somebody's home and you've had a time of study and fellowship there, that's when you see connect groups, that is... That is a reference that maybe you can understand. Service groups focusing on being the Jesus' hands and feet in the greater Chattanooga community. See, we want, we are the sermon, watch, that's coming up on November the 6th. We want that to be more than just a once a year event. We want our congregation to be actively involved in the community throughout the calendar year. And service groups are a way to be able to do this. Individuals who say, you know what, I love just to tinker around and I love just to work on things and build things and I love just to get my hands dirty sometimes. And there are many ways in which we can serve throughout this area 
And maybe that's something that where, where the Lord kind of just leads you in that direction. You say, you know what? I, I've got some free time on my hands and I'd love to be a part of a group that goes out regularly and just serves through with the community. Our study groups meet weekly to focus on various Bible topics. Got the Romeo breakfast that meets each Wednesday morning. Multiple ladies Bible classes. You can see this on the back of your, your glory, praise, and honor. And we even have a, a large group that meets here on Sunday evenings at 6 p.m. And we worship together. And if this is something that you'd like to be a part of, we encourage you to come and, and study the Bible in these different settings. And then finally, we have a listing here for support groups. Assisting individuals and families during specific life struggles is a safe place to share and receive encouragement. We have divorce care that takes place here. We have our transformation project that is going on. And I know that someone filled out uh, one of our forms this last week and turned it in and said that they would love to be a part of a, a cancer support group. And so we've got people thinking about different ways that we can be with one another, that we can grow closer to one another and minister to one another because discipleship is communal. And so if you are not a part currently of any type of group here at East Brainerd, we want you to give diligent prayer to this. And so what we did last week, we just asked for those who were here to, to look over these different groups and just check a box. I would like to participate in or I would like to lead and enlist a group. Maybe you'd like to be in more than, than one. That's perfectly all right. Put your name and contact information here. And over the next few weeks, as we continue to get information from the congregation, we will be putting these groups together and we'll give you information on how that, that your group is going to be meeting and, and sharing time with, with one another. And so, if, if you missed last week, I'm sorry, there are no Sundays. I know. You're like, hey, we're going to do it again? No. I mean, hey, you should have been here. But um, we do have these. We've got these forms, and that you should have one. And if you were not able to fill it out last week, I encourage you to do so. And we'll have individuals who are part of our membership ministry, and they're going to be at our back doors as you exit today. And just take this and put it in the hand of one of those nice smiling faces that's there, and this will make its way to, um, to the office. Or if you have any questions, as you see on here, you can email Gilly Wiseman as she's helping to um, uh, handle some of these issues. And Why? All because we want to grow in our discipleship. Because as I mentioned, there's a grand event. And this grand event is God's great expectation for our, for our life. So I want you to open up, if you haven't already, to the book of 2 Peter. I want you to find chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. You'll see where it says there in verse 3 that we've been given everything we need to live a godly life. You read on down to, to verse 5, and it says, so because of this, I want you to supplement, it says, or add to your faith. Now, this is a very important word. That little word that says add there, it's a word that in its original context, in its original language, was used to describe the person who was responsible for making sure that a grand chorus event came off perfectly. That there were all these different preparations to make. There was all of these different things to take care of. There were different boxes to check. And there was different people to make sure they're in their right place. And there was different things to make sure were paid for. And there was this benefactor whose responsibility it was to make sure that the grand event took place. And this is the word that Peter pulls and says, here's what I want. I want you to look at your discipleship as if you were preparing for a grand event, as if you were the one 
that was responsible for making this take place and happen. That you were the one that was having to go out and get all those supplies together. God's given you everything you need. And now here's what I want you to do. I want you to be active in your discipleship. And I want you to add, he says, to your faith. Now, often when we read this, we kind of go add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge. And off we go through the list. And Peter just kind of assumes that his readers have this faith thing down. That they understand that faith is, the, faith is the ice cream that you put all the toppings on in your discipleship. I don't want to make that assumption necessarily. And I don't want to just run past this really quick. And I don't want to do this because I think what we're going to discover is that faith is so foundational that if it's not present, that if it's not there in great supply, then as we begin to add all of these other things, everything will begin to, like some of your Sundays last week, melt, right? Because the foundation was not able to hold up under all of the other things that you put there. And so here's what I want to do. Uh, for this week and also for next week, I want us to, to look into the life of Peter. And I want us to discover what he learned about the importance of faith. First place that we're going to um, look is in the Gospel of Matthew. Gospel of Matthew, there's this great exchange that takes place between Peter and Jesus. And if you know anything about the biblical account here with Peter, he is very brash and he's always the one that, that speaks with, I will never and we will always, and, and yet his life is more, I will sometimes and if I can. And he, he resembles us in so many ways. Listen to what takes place in this exchange. This is in Matthew chapter 18. It says, Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? How often should I forgive? Now, this is a great question. It's a question that speaks to our everyday life. It's a question that is very relevant. It's a question maybe that some of you have asked before. Just how often do I need to forgive the people that hurt me? The ones that hurt me the most? The ones that hurt me the least? Lord, what kind of individual should I be? And so Peter throws out his own answer. He says seven times? Is that good? I mean, it is that number of perfection, and it, it is that number where whenever you see seven there in Scripture, you think, ah, seven, that's the number. This has to be it. He's asking, when is enough enough? And he says, here is mine. I'm going to tell you, Lord, it's going to be seven times. What's your number? Because I bet some of you think that you're better than Peter because you look and say, you know what, I've, already, I've forgiven my husband ten times. I've forgiven my wife, I've, I've forgiven my parents, I've forgiven my kids, I've forgiven that guy at the office. I mean, I've, I've gone all the way past seven to 10 to 15. And you think, I'm doing much better than Peter, but you've got a number. Because no matter how good you think you are right now, you've got a number where you say, but if it ever happens again, right? I mean, if he ever says that again, then it's over. If she ever does that to me one more time, no forgiveness. You've got a number. Oh, maybe it's more than seven. Maybe it's less. Yet here's what Jesus says. No, not seven times, but 70 
times seven. And some readings even say 77 times. He gives this exorbitant number. He, he, he uses almost as the rabbis would often this idea of hyperbole. That same idea when he says, listen, uh, don't forget about that, 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 that plank that's in your own eye before you go and you try to get the speck out of your brother or sisters. He uses that, that rich hyperbole. And he says, no, 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 seven's not going to be enough. You're going to do 70 times seven. And actually what Jesus does here, he reaches all the way back into the first book of the Bible. He reaches back to the book of Genesis in Genesis chapter 4 where you find the great, great, great grandson of Cain, Lamech. And he makes this pronouncement after a young man had tried to kill him. He pronounces to his family that someone had tried to injure him, but instead Lamech says, I have killed him. And he says, if Cain is going to be avenged seven times, I will be avenged 70 times seven. Now, if you're not familiar with your Old Testament history there, you might remember the story of Adam and Eve. Maybe you remember the sons and you remember the story of Cain and Abel and how Abel is killed by Cain. And then Cain is banished, but the Lord wants to make sure that Cain's life is not taken. And so it says there in Genesis chapter 4 that there was a mark of some type that was placed upon Cain. And the Lord pronounced that if anyone ever took the life of Cain, that Cain's life would be avenged seven times. This idea that, listen, if someone takes Cain's life, the Lord is promising it's not going to end up good for that individual or for those people. That, that there is vengeance that will come from the Lord if Cain's life is taken. And so the great-great-grandson then of Cain sees someone that comes after him, meeting him harm, takes his life, and he says, well, listen, if Cain's life is going to be avenged, my life is going to be avenged even more. And he's got this arrogance about himself that no one should try to harm him and that no one should take whatever he has. And he's going to make sure that if anyone wrongs him, they pay because that is what needs to happen in his life. And that's kind of the way in which we all live our life. We live our life with this understanding that if I am wronged, then I have the right to wrong you. That if you say something against me, then I can go and repeat whatever I want to about you. That if you hurt me in some way, or maybe yet, let me get a little personal. If you hurt my child, then that just frees me up to do whatever I want, to say whatever I want, to be whatever I want. Because I will be avenged. That's the way that we live our life. That's the code by which humanity goes. You don't believe me? Just look at the condition of the world. Look at what takes place in our society now. Listen to the way that individuals talk to one another and the way in which they respond to actions to one another. We live in this Genesis 4 world, this fallen world, where we say, listen, I will be avenged. It is my right. It is my duty. And Jesus reaches all the way back there to where Lamech said, listen, I'll be avenged 70 times 7. And he turns it on his head. And he says, you want to know how many times you should forgive someone? 70 times 7. And understand, that would not have been lost 
on this Jewish disciple. That would not have been lost on his Jewish hearers as they hear this. They would go back and they would make that connection and go, wow, there's something, there's something much different going on here. In a similar exchange, Luke would record the following. Luke chapter 17. Jesus says, if another believer sins, rebuke that person. Then if there is repentance, forgive. If that person wrongs you seven times a day and each time turns again to ask forgiveness, you must forgive. You say, but aren't we giving, getting into this, this cycle? Aren't we, aren't we just helping people just do the same thing over and over I mean, doesn't there come a time, Lord, where we just have to say enough is enough and I'm not going to fall for this anymore and I'm not going to let you hurt me in this way and I'm not going to let you do this to me and keep me up all night and bring all these tears and all this stress and I'm having to take all this medicine because of the way that you're treating me and I'm not going to let it happen again. Look at the response. Luke chapter 17 and verse 5. So the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. Now, do you think that's a strange response? I mean, if Jesus had just told me that I needed to be more forgiving, if he had told me that I needed to, no matter if someone came and wronged me seven times in one day, if someone came and said, you know what? I have sinned against you. I have hurt you. I have talked about you. I have run your name down. I've hacked your email account and shared it with everybody. And they come and they say, listen, but I want you to forgive me. I think I would say, Jesus, I need you to help me understand this person. I need you to give me a... Um, I need you to give me some kind of workbook to go through and, and I need to better be able to, to handle my emotions and all these different things. But look at their answer. They just say, Lord, would you just give us more faith, please? Would you give us, would you give us more faith? And I think the reason that Peter and the other disciples ask for faith when they hear what seems to be an impossible expectation from the Lord is that they understand what you and I have learned in Bible class before, that without faith, it is impossible to please God. God said, this is what will please me. You go and forgive your father. You go and forgive your mother. You go and forgive that roommate. You go and forgive that coworker. You go and forgive those individuals that have hurt you the most. And we understand that to be pleasing to God, there is no way to do it unless our faith grows. Because left to ourselves, we want vengeance. And we want our ex-husband to pay. And we want our ex-wife to feel the pain that we feel. And we want all of those who have wronged us to somehow have something happen to them. I can remember laying there in the emergency room and looking at my arm as it was broken on that night after the softball game. And I was thinking, you know, Lord, if you would just send some locusts to that first baseman that I ran into. And if not locusts, frogs, you know, I'm not asking a lot. I was thinking, why did this happen? And, and I can't believe he was out there and he did that and I did this and this went on and, and 25 years of playing and never hurt myself except when another girl fell on me and broke my arm and that's another story. And 
I'm like, Lord, just send frogs and just send flies or something. And then I heard a couple weeks later that we played the same team again and members of their team came over to our team and said, hey, how's that guy that, you know, was crying in the fetal position over there by first base? And they said, said, well, he's doing, you know, he's doing all right. And they said, well, let me tell you about the girl that he ran into. No, not the girl he ran into. Let me tell you about the guy that he ran into. He was riding on his four-wheeler and had an accident and fell off and broke his ankle. Yeah, that's what I thought. I was like, all right, better than frogs. Good. Why? Because that's how we feel. But Lord, increase our faith when you tell us that we've got to forgive. Increase our faith. Because without faith, it is impossible to please God. The text goes on there in in Hebrews 11 and verse 6 to say, For you must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who seek after him. See, when it comes to our faith, there's two things that you focus on. You focus on the fact that there is a God and that God is good. There is a God and that God is good. And as that begins to grow more in your life, here's what you begin to realize. If that God tells me to forgive 70 times 7, If that God tells me to forgive him or forgive her seven times in a day, if that God tells me that I have to be a person of forgiveness, then I believe that if I follow in that path, there is goodness for me. Without faith, it's impossible to please God because all those that come to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those that seek after him. And so that's why Peter and the other disciples would say, all right, you want us, you want us to forgive? You want us to be forgiving? I thought seven was enough. And now you've thrown out this crazy number. And I understand that you expect us to be people unlike any others. And the only way that's going to happen is for our faith to grow. And for us to truly believe in you and believe that if we do what you tell us to do, that we will be rewarded. See, here's what I've come to see about discipleship. It must be believed before it can be lived. Discipleship must be believed before it can be lived. And so our question that we have to address is, do you really believe? Do you really believe that the one whom you follow will reward you for following him? Do you really believe that the one that you are trying to pattern yourself after, that if you take on his teachings, and that if you live the life that he calls you to, that you will be rewarded for that. Not in some life to come, but right here and right now. Do you really believe that if called to forgive, if you were to go and offer that forgiveness to the one person that you've been thinking about through this entire message, do you believe that you'll be blessed because of it? That's the question. And that's why the disciples said, Lord, increase our faith. 
because we need to trust you more. And so Peter would write to the church and he would say, church, everything you need for a godly life is right here. It's prepared, it's waiting, it's ready. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to add to your faith. But before we start talking about all the things that we're going to add to our faith, I wanted to give us a little bit of time to truly think about the faith that we say that we have. And think about the way that we are living our lives and the way that we are walking in discipleship. Because how does the way you live your life, what does it say about the faith that you have in the Savior that you follow? What does it say? We just looked at one attribute today. We just looked at one simple command of Jesus as he said, listen, grace is just so daily. It's just something you've got to do day in and day out. And so you need to forgive and you need to forgive today. You need to forgive tomorrow and the next day. And if they keep coming back, you just keep having to forgive. We just looked at one thing. What does that one thing say about the faith that you have in Jesus? But what about all the other things that your teacher has taught you? What about all the other things that you've been learning in your discipleship? What does it say about your faith? So here's what we're going to do. We're going to wrap up our time together and we're going to, um, we're going to sing a song called And Can It Be? And that song talks about how it's, it's beyond comprehension that there is a God who loves us enough to rescue us from ourselves. And we're going to sing this song as a way of not just encouraging one another, but as a way of, as a way of hopefully challenging each one of us individually to look deep into our lives and say, Lord, I don't know how it is that you could pour out your grace and mercy on me like this. But because that's what you've done for me, I'm going to live for you. See, because this song reminds us that we've been forgiven. And if we've been forgiven, then who are we not to forgive? Maybe you need more faith. Can we pray about that together? Let's stand and sing.